Welcome back to the Teen Challenger Southern California podcast. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know about a 24-7 prayer and help referral line that Teen Challenger Southern California just launched. No matter what your need is, if you're anxious or worried or stressed, you can call anytime, any day, and a Teen Challenge staff member is there to pray with you. The number is 888-520-0620. Once again, that number is 888-520-0620. We're so glad that you've chosen our podcast today. We know that there's thousands of podcasts that you could be listening to, and you've chosen to listen to ours, and we thank you for that. Up next in this series are the brand new sessions, fresh off the press from our very first Spiritual Emphasis Online. Normally, this is an event that Teen Challenger Southern California hosts yearly at our headquarters in Riverside, where all of our staff and students gather under a tent for three or four days of powerful worship and teaching. But because of what's going on in our world right now, we decided to take the event online and make it a completely virtual event. And what a week it was. We invited the Teen Challenge Centers from around the globe to participate with us. And it was just such a spirit-filled, powerful, life-changing week. We had messages from Don Wilkerson, Jim Cimbala, Nikki Cruz, Gary Wilkerson, and many, many more. Lives were changed forever. We're excited to share this week's episode, which features Jonathan Laurie, who's the son of Greg Laurie, from Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California, as the second session from our Spiritual Emphasis 2020 online series. As you listen to these sessions, our prayer is that you would sense God's presence, that you would hear His voice, and most of all, we hope that you're encouraged in the Lord today through these podcasts. Remember to subscribe today to our podcast if you haven't already done it. Be encouraged today. Well, a very special hello to all of my friends there at Teen Challenge. Man, it is so good to be with you guys. My name is Jonathan Laurie, and I am just so honored to speak to all of you today. Obviously, under normal circumstances, we'd all be together in one building. And uh, next year, we're praying that that is going to happen. But right now, we can have the confidence to just know that the same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. And so listen, we're together in spirit. We are going to be worshiping the Lord together through some great worship. And uh, I'm going to be sharing a message with you in just a few moments. But man, I got to tell you, you guys are really in for a treat. You have some amazing speakers that are going to be lined up as you guys step into this conference of uh, speakers and Worship. You're going to have Jim Cimbala, Nikki Cruz, Don Wilkerson, Gary Wilkerson, Ron Brown, who's the Teen Challenge Executive Director. You're going to have many more speakers. It is going to be a great time, not to mention some pretty epic worship. You're going to have Phil Wickham. You're going to have the Harvest Worship Team, the, pa- the church that I- I'm a pastor here at. And I got to tell you, they're going to do a great job. You're going to hear music from Influence Church, Brandon Machow from St. Andrews, Brooklyn Tabernacle, as well as some music from Matthew West. Man, you guys, you've got it pretty good. I got to say, you're going to hear some great music, and I am so honored to be included in that lineup and just get to share with you a little bit of my story and encourage you, as so many of you are coming into the program, you've been in the program for some time. Listen, God is going to work in your life. I got to tell you, I really believe in Teen Challenge. I believe in the work that they do because I have seen firsthand so many people. I have a lot of friends who have gone through the program at Teen Challenge, and I have seen the transforming uh, effect that it has had on their lives. Amazing stories of them coming in just broken and and, in bondage and seeing how they come out, how God has worked in their lives. It has been nothing short of a miracle. And so I'm really thankful for all my friends there at Teen Challenge, the work that they're doing. God bless you guys. 
you know, I got to say to you, whatever doubt or question you might have in the back of your mind about where you are at today, let me just tell you, you are in the right place. And this is the right time to let God begin and continue to work in your life, to work in on you from the inside out. God is going to work in your life while you're in Teen Challenge. I can assure you of that. He is going to work in your life. You are going to see him do things inside of you that you never thought possible. You're going to begin to see temptations and habits that you don't like begin to fade away and grow dim. Listen, there's going to be challenge. You're going to face hardship. You're going to have struggles, no question. But you are not beyond help. Jesus Christ is the answer to your problems you face today and in the future. But there's only one question that I want to ask you, and that is, are you willing? Are you willing? That is the question you have to ask yourself. Are you willing to let go of your past? Let go of those things that once defined you and let God begin to work in your life. Are you willing to let go of the things that drag you down and embrace God's plan for your life? Because listen, it is a lifelong, everyday decision, but it is the best decision that you could ever make. Now, I know that uh, there's probably a good amount of you who, who maybe are not familiar with who I am, and that's okay. Uh, allow me to introduce myself. Again, my name is Jonathan Laurie. I am a pastor at a church called Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. We also have a campus in uh, Irvine in Orange County and also on the island of Maui. Hey, what do you think? We should all go take a trip there together? That sounds good to me right now. Uh, and so this church was started over 48 years ago by my dad, who was the founding pastor, Greg Laurie. And uh, I've gotten to come on staff in the year about 2010, and I've been serving in different ministry capacities. And a few years ago, I was made a pastor, and now I get to minister to our congregation and, and help oversee some different things happening here. And again, it is just such a, a blessing to be with all of you today. Obviously, being born and raised in the church, maybe it's a little bit of an understatement for me, uh, as my dad has been a pastor my entire life. He's also an evangelist. He does these, uh, does these events called the Harvest Crusades uh, in Angel Stadium. We've been doing them for over 30 years here in Southern California as well, uh, as well as across America and even abroad doing events in New Zealand and Australia, different places. And so it has just been amazing to grow up in that environment. But saying that I'm a pastor's kid, or I grew up in the church, is a little bit of an understatement. Um, I have known Jesus as my Savior my entire life. As long as I can remember, I've always believed in the existence of God. I've always believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from, my, uh, from the dead. And I died, did that so that I could have my sin forgiven. I've always believed that. But it wasn't until I was about 22 years old in 2008 that he also became my Lord. You see, there's a distinction there that he was first my Savior. He was the Savior of my sin. He was my God that I called out to in times of trouble. And I believed in him for my salvation, for the fact that I would go to heaven. But I didn't live my life in light of that. I didn't live my life uh, in line with what Jesus had called me to do. He was not yet my Lord, until I was about 22 years old. And I know that is the theme for uh, this year. Is he Lord of all? Is Jesus Lord of all in your life? And I want to ask you that question today. Again, uh, I don't remember being 20 years old. That was only 14 years ago. You know, it seems like that was a lifetime ago. It was only 20 years ago when my dad started uh, rather, my dad was 20 years old when he started the church, and I don't even remember what I was doing 
when I was 20 years old. That was only 14 years ago. Uh, I'm 34 years old. I've been married for 10 years to my wife, Brittany, and we have three kids together, a seven-year-old boy, a nine-year-old daughter, and a 15-year-old daughter, pray for me. And uh, it's great. We live together in Orange County, California. And I can tell you this with all honesty, that I never thought that I was going to become a pastor. I never thought that I was going to become a preacher, that I would stand on a stage and stand behind a pulpit and speak to people about Jesus and what he's done for me uh, with a microphone in my hand. I never thought that was going to happen. And now you might look at my story and at face value, you'd say, oh, come on, Jonathan, your dad's a pastor. You've been raised in the church. It's in your DNA. And maybe you're right. But I got to tell you, growing up with that expectation, uh, really, it rubbed me the wrong way. When I was a kid, you know, people would ask me, um, are you going to grow up and be a pastor like your dad someday? And I you know, that, that began to rub me the wrong way as a kid. I don't know if there's any PKs in the audience, any pastor's kids in the audience. PK Posse, what up? Uh, but as long as I can remember, as a kid, I was asked that question. Are you going to grow up and become a preacher like your dad? Are you going to grow up and be a pastor like your father? Now, when you're like four years old, you're like, uh, I don't even really know what that means. I just want to play hide and seek. I, I think I want to be a mailman or maybe an astronaut, one of the two. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Whichever one pans out, I guess. I don't know what I want to be when I was a kid, but people were putting that expectation on me. And, you know, I had a good childhood. I was raised with my mom and dad and my older brother, uh, who was 11 years older than me. And uh, I, had a, I had a good childhood. My parents were great. They loved me. We had family vacations together and they read Bible stories to me when I was a kid. And uh, I had a good childhood. I had a good life. Um, but I got to tell you, being raised in the church can have its challenges. Being a pastor's son can have its challenges. People put expectations on you because of who your father is, because of who your family is. It can kind of be difficult to live up to if you are a pastor's son or if your parents are in church leadership in some capacity. You know what I'm talking about. Thankfully, I had an older brother who could kind of help guide me along this road. He was, again, 11 years older uh, than me, and he was just one of those guys that I looked up to. He was kind of a third parent because he was so much older. So when I'm like three years old, he's 14. When I'm eight years old, he's 17 or, you know, 19 rather. So he's like, a third parent. And he was kind of the tough love parent. I looked up to him because he was so good at everything. He was so smart. And, uh, and he was just one of those guys that uh, whatever he tried, he could become good at like right away, whether it was skateboarding or surfing or riding motorcycles or playing guitar, whatever it was that he tried and attempted to pick up and, and become proficient at, he did it right away. He got good so fast. Me, I like dedicate years of my life trying to learn how to ollie or trying to learn how to do a good bottom turn on a wave. And it was like, he just had it dialed as long as I could remember. And again, he was that tough love older sibling. I remember being uh, in the neighborhood and I would be getting in fights with different kids in the neighborhood. And he would show me how to actually defend myself and how to fight those kids. And so we'd walk over to the kid's house and we'd start getting in a brawl in the front yard. And then when the kids started wailing on me, inevitably, that's when he would step in and be like, hey, nobody beats my brother up except for me, you know. And so he was that tough love older sibling. And uh, as again, I grew up in the church, I had this question always being asked of me, are you going to grow up and be a pastor? Oh, you're Greg Laurie's son. You're the pastor's kid. Uh, as I got into junior high and high school, I was really known as that person. And the last thing you want when you're like 13, 14, 15 years old 
is to be identified with your parents, right? That's like the last thing you want is to be known uh, by who your father is. You want your own identity. You want to be your own person, right? Well, that's how I felt. And so as I got into my early teens, my mid-teens, I decided that I was going to create my own identity for myself. I was going to have my own identity. I was going to become my own person that wasn't so closely associated with my family. And so what did I do? Well, as I turned about 16, 17 years old, I decided I was going to do the most cliche, most predictable church brat thing ever. I was going to go and experiment with drugs and alcohol and partying. How original, right? Well, I'm thankful that my story didn't end there. I'm thankful that God had different plans for my life. I spoke with my friend over there at Teen Challenge, Michael Miracle, shout out, that guy's a legend. And uh, he told me that, again, this year's theme was he is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Now, again, there's a distinction that you need to make, just like I did. There's a distinction you need to make. Again, Jesus was my Savior. He was my God of choice when I got into trouble. He was the one I prayed to. But as soon as the problem went away and it was passed and everything went back to normal, I was kind of like, hey, see you next crisis, Lord. Many of you have made Jesus your Savior. Many of you have made him uh, your God and your friend. But have you asked him to be the Lord of your life? Have you allowed him to come into your life and become Lord over everything? Savior is something that he has done for you, right? He has delivered you from your sin. He's forgiven you. You have the hope of heaven. Amen. But letting him become the Lord of your life and living your life for him as though he is your master and you are the slave, well, that's something that you have to do. Savior is something he does for you. Lordship is something that you live in light of, something you are doing for him. My dad has said in a lot of his sermons that I've heard over the years, he said that if he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. Let me say that again. If he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. In Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he said these words in chapter 13. I want to read them to you. He said this, You know how late it is getting. Time is beginning to run out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. So don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. I like the way the J.B. Phillips translation puts that last verse. It says this, The night is nearly over. The day has almost dawned. Therefore, let us fling away the things that men do in the dark and let us arm ourselves for the fight of the day. Let us live cleanly as in the daylight. And listen to this. Let us be Christ's men from head to foot and give no chances to the flesh to have its fling. Let us be Christ's men from head to foot. From the top of our heads to the tip of our toes, let us be Christ's men and women. Let's live our lives for Jesus. Amen. He wants to be the Lord of every aspect of your life. He wants to be the Lord of your business. He wants to be the Lord of your free time. He wants to be the Lord of your relationships. He wants to be the Lord of your purity. He wants to be the Lord of all. Listen to me. If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all.
That is many times easier said than done, isn't it? To let Jesus be Lord of all. It's easier to say, Jesus be the Lord of my life than it is to live that for sure. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time trusting people. I have a hard time trusting people sometimes. Like I, I trust my family. I trust my friends, obviously. But when you look at the world and you look at our society, there isn't much you can trust. It can be really disillusioning. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will show you which path to take. You can trust in the Lord with all of your heart. This speaks of your whole being. Every aspect of your life you should entrust to the Lord. But it can be trust, uh, rather it can be hard to trust people in life. I know some of you maybe have had a hard time trusting somebody. You've been burned by people. You've been let down. You've been left. You've been, you've been hurt. And many of us have. We all have in some capacity. When you look at our society today, you can see, hey, politicians, they can lie, right? Newsflash, politicians can lie, whether it's a senator or a governor or a city council member or even a president, they can lie. Doctors, these are people that we trust to take care of our health, right? They take that Hippocratic oath and to do no harm. And even doctors can lie. You know, they can prescribe drugs that maybe people don't need so they can get kickbacks from the drug companies, the pharmaceutical companies. Policemen can be corrupt. Family members can let us down and take advantage of us and manipulate. Guys, sadly, within even the church, we see people sin and take advantage. And that is a sad thing. It is hard sometimes to trust anybody. And so in turn, it can sometimes be hard to trust God. Hey, even your cell phone, when you have your cell phone going around with you everywhere, right? It is constantly collecting data on you. It's selling it to all the marketing agencies. You have these crazy ads pop up and you're like, did that just read my mind? I was just thinking about the fact that I want a burrito from Taco Bell and now I'm getting an advertisement on my phone from Taco Bell. What the heck just happened? The websites you visit, what profiles you look at on social media, uh, how long you're on TikTok for, why in the world you spent two hours photoshopping that selfie on your phone. Listen, that information is all being collected and sold so that they can better target you with advertisements on your phone. It seems we cannot trust much today, can we? There's not a lot we can trust. Sooner or later, everyone is going to let you down. But there is one person that will never let you down. There is one person who will never betray your confidence, who will never betray your trust, who will never burn you or let you down, and that is Jesus Christ. He'll never let you down. He'll never burn you. You see, Scripture tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13 says, for all of eternity, God has been the same. His heart's always been the same. The entire time throughout Scripture, we read God's heart has been the same. You go back to the Garden of Eden, and you remember when Adam and Eve were in creation, and they're walking in the forest with, you know, God in the cool of the day, and he's talking with Adam, and they just have this amazing personal relationship with God, able to actually physically walk with God, and he's given them so much and, and given them a responsibility in the garden. It was a beautiful picture of what God originally wanted to do with mankind. He wanted to have communion with us. He wanted to have fellowship with us. But God also wanted us to want him back, right? He wanted us to want him back. And so what did he do? He gave us something called a free will. We all have a free will to choose God or to not choose God, to make our own decisions. Uh, he didn't want a bunch of robots running around. He didn't want us pre-programmed to only be able to have one binary choice. I only choose God and that's all I can do. No, he wanted us to have a free will. 
He didn't want us to just be a bunch of pre-programmed robots. Again, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those uh, Build-A-Bear stores. Uh, they're basically a, a stuffed animal store where you go and they have these little bears and you can choose what their, uh, you know, the skin looks like, the outside, the fur looks like. They have a bunch of different colors and outfits you can put them in and they fill it with stuffing and you can even choose the amount of stuffing you want to go in it if you want it to be kind of floppy or really thick and full and and, uh, you know, bouncy. And so one of the options that you could do is you can put like a little button that goes inside of the Build-A-Bear. So when you squeeze it, it says a pre-recorded message. Now you can choose one uh, that they have that they'll supply you with, or you can record your own voice. And so we've done these for friends and, you know, kids in the past, you know, my own kids have had them. And so you put one of these little things and you squeeze it and it goes, I love you. And now when you're two or three years old, you're stoked because you think that bear is really saying, I love you, right? I love you. Well, we know that that bear doesn't really love you. We know that that bear is just made up of some synthetic polyester and some weird filling and made out of plastic and cables and, you know, a speaker that's put inside that's got a pre-recorded message. That's not what God wanted from us. He didn't want us to be pre-recorded little robots. He wanted us to have a free will. He wanted us to choose him. You know, sometimes in the morning, my, my kids will wake up super early and they'll come to the side of the bed and they kind of shake me awake a little bit. And I wake up, you know, rubbing the sleep out of my eyes and they say, good morning, dad. I love you. And they'll give me a hug. And it's like, oh man, that's the best. You know, that's the best is when you know your kids love you and they come and they, they give you a hug in the morning and they embrace you. I know that that's real, but let's be honest. I also know that it's probably them trying to manipulate me to make chocolate chip pancakes for the third day in a row. But regardless... They're telling me that they love me, and I love hearing that. I love hearing that. I love that I'm not forcing them. Hey, you say I love you or else you're going to get in trouble. I'm going to take this away or I'm going to give you a spanking if you don't say that. No, they say it because they mean it. God wants the same thing from us. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to love him and to walk with him. And in the Bible, we see that theme throughout all 66 different books over 40 different authors written over the course of 1,500 years from the first book to the last book, we see that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because Adam and Eve did sin way back in the garden, and they had that free will, and they chose to eat of the forbidden fruit, we've been separated from God. We've had our communication severed with Him. It was broken. And that's the bad news. We are all separated from God for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. But the good news is that God sent Jesus, the Son of God. He humbled himself. He came down from heaven and into this earth as a human being where he walked, healed, taught, corrected, suffered, and died on a cross for our sin. And on the third day rose again from the dead, proving he is who he said he was. He did that for us. He did that for us. This was God's redemptive plan that he wanted to put into place as soon as Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit. God knew what he had to do. He had to make a way where there was no way so that we could be back with him again. This was his redemptive plan to have fellowship with us, his creation that he loves. You see, God's heart never changed and never changed. So he made a way for us to come back to him. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that God gives second chances, right? I'm so thankful that God gives second chances because if he didn't, I don't think any of us would be sitting here today. God gave me a second chance. He gave me a second chance, that's for sure. A lot of you are familiar with the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, 
and it's an amazing passage, but I also love the verses that follow it. Let me read it to you. It says these words, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and bring all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. I love that last verse, especially that last couple of sentences. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, and I will bring you to the place from which I have caused you to be carried away captive. I tell you what, I was a captive for many years. I was held captive for many years. As I got into, as I mentioned, as I got into high school and I began to try experimenting with drugs and alcohol and partying and all the things that go with it, uh, I remember the very first time I tried drugs. I remember taking drugs the first time at age 17. And I remember I wanted to try everything and experience everything the world had to offer. I took that first hit and it just opened up a whole world for me that I didn't know existed. It opened my eyes to the darkness in the world, really. And I thought I was having fun initially, right? It was pretty fun for a while, I got to admit. But only a few months after I took that first hit of marijuana, things went zero to 60 real quick. Drugs were no longer at this point, just a few months later, just a, a social thing that I did at parties. It was an everyday part of my life. I was drinking every day. I was using drugs every day. And uh, I got to tell you what, I was pretty miserable. I was already starting to find that this wasn't that much fun anymore. I had to do this just to have fun. I couldn't have fun without drugs. I couldn't have fun without drinking. I couldn't have fun without bringing some substance into my life. And so I found myself becoming miserable. I found myself kind of in a downward spiral. I, I still had that guilt buried in the back of my mind, you see, because I believed in Jesus. I never turned my, my back completely on God. Well, I suppose I did because I did walk away. But I, I always knew I wanted to get back home. I always knew I wanted to come back to the Lord. And someday, someday I'd make a real decision to follow Him. Someday I would really walk with Him. And I was just having some fun right now. And so I had that in the back of my mind. So I was living this double life. And really, that was a very miserable thing to do. And this was only a few months into partying. I lived this way for another six years. I found myself becoming so miserable because now the very identity that I was running from, which was being known as the pastor's son, Greg Laurie's son, uh, had now followed me into the party world. I would be at parties and I would be sitting on a couch with somebody and somebody would recognize me or they'd know my last name and they'd say, hey, you're, you're Greg Laurie's kid. I, my parents go to your church. They're fanatics. They're all crazy. Oh man, how ashamed I felt in that moment because I knew that I was not only dragging my family name through the gutter as I was living completely contrary to everything that I was raised with and what my dad had taught and really what I believed, but I was also dragging the Lord's name through it. They thought that all Christians were hypocrites, that all Christians were fake, and I was a prime example of that. How ashamed and embarrassed I was in that moment. The very thing that I was trying to run from, that identity, had followed me into the party world. I was trying to run from that identity. And again, uh, every time, every time that would happen, every time somebody would see me, I was afraid now uh, that they were going to recognize me. Or When I was at a party, I was afraid that someone was going to call me out for that. You see, my non-Christian friends now knew me as the pastor's kid, 
And then my Christian friends, when I would go to church on Sunday, knew me as the guy that was kind of disconnected. He was there, but wasn't really there. They thought, they kind of had an idea that I had been partying. And so here I was living in two worlds, one foot in the church, one foot in the world. And I, I got to tell you, that's a miserable place to be when you've got too much of the world to be happy in the church and too much of the church to be happy in the world. This went on for about five years. This went on for about five years from age 17 to 22. I was pretty miserable. And I got to tell you what, I, I was stuck. My life sucked. <laughs> I had pretty much everything you could want in the world and I was still empty. And the thing that probably made me so miserable was I knew what the answer was. I knew what the answer was. You see, I still believed in Jesus, but I was not allowing him to be Lord of my life in any aspect. I knew what I was looking for was in a relationship with God, but I wasn't able to completely walk away from the lifestyle I was living because I was addicted. I was addicted to everything that I was doing, physically, psychologically, emotionally. I couldn't break free. I couldn't get away from this lifestyle. And I, I got to say, I, I had wake-up calls too, you know? I had wake-up calls. I had friends that, that OD'd and died from drugs. I had friends that went to jail. I had friends who had brain damage. I knew girls that had gotten abortions, guys that got STDs, people that got DUIs, all that stuff. I knew I didn't want to go down this downward spiral. I knew that I wanted to break free from this, but I wasn't able to on my own. I remember I'd be driving home after a night of partying and I'd have that little Ziploc baggie sitting on my passenger seat filled with my drugs and I'd be driving home and I'd say, oh, I'm so sick of this. I'm tired of it. And I'd roll my window down and I'd take that Ziploc bag and I'd fling that thing as hard as I could out the window and I'd go to bed that night feeling pretty good about myself thinking, oh, tomorrow, that's going to be the day that I get right with God. That's going to be the day that I get the help that I need. And I'd wake up that next morning and I'd get back in my car and I'd retrace my steps. And I'd go find the spot that I threw that Ziploc bag out of my window and I'd go hunt it down. Sometimes it was over in the bushes off the side of the freeway. Sometimes it was in the middle of the street. But I'd go back and I'd pick up that wet, smashed Ziploc bag and I'd bring it back into my life. And I was addicted and I was miserable. I remember having a couple of conversations with my brother about this. Uh, Christopher, again, he was a lot older, 11 years. And at this point, Christopher um, had stepped out of that lifestyle. You see, Christopher had done some things very similar to I, uh, that I was. He had gone into partying. He had gone into drugs. He had gone into all the world had to offer and kind of rebelled as well. And at this point, Christopher was walking with the Lord. He was doing well. He, he was uh, really having home Bible studies and just God had done an amazing work in his life. And so I would have conversations with him, asking him about what he thought about things, how I could get free from this. You know, I never told him the whole picture, right? I never told him the real version of what I was going through, but I would ask his opinion on stuff and he would always encourage me to uh, seek accountability and to get plugged into a new group of friends and to find a new circle of people to hang out with. And one day we were driving home from church and this was a conversation that really stuck with me. Uh, we were driving home from church one Sunday and uh, Christopher at this point, he was 33, he was married, he had a little girl and another little girl on the way. And he just, he was doing great. And I really respected him for where he was at in his life. And I, I knew I wanted to get to that place of where he was at ultimately. And so we were driving home and I kind of was venting about just how much this sucked. And I, you know, mom and dad are giving me a hard time and I want to be free from this. And I, I don't want to, 
you know, live this way anymore and I want to live my life for God, but it's hard. And so we were just going back and forth. And finally, he just, he kind of got pissed off. And he was like, you know what, man? You're blowing it. You're blowing it. What are you doing? You know, you've had all these wake-up calls. You've had close, you know, close encounters where you've gotten, you know, in trouble, but somehow you've come through unscathed. And he just asked me point blank. He said, what's it going to take for you to give your life to Christ? What's it going to take? What wake-up call needs to happen for God to get your attention, Jonathan? What are you waiting for? And I remember I was a little like, whoa, it's kind of surprised. He was really direct with me uh, with that question. And I didn't really have an answer for it. But his question really did stick in my mind over the days and the next week uh, to come. I remember going to bed one night and I was laying in bed and I was thinking about how that next day I wanted to have a conversation with my brother. I wanted to talk to him and, and ask his opinion and again, just kind of get this process started. I wanted to get clean and I wanted to talk to him about it. And I went to work that morning. I was still thinking about his question. What's it going to take? for you to give your life to Christ. And as I got into work and I went to the office, I was sitting there and my supervisor came up to me. And he, he came over and he started chatting with me and just checking in, kind of making small talk. And uh, he said, hey, uh, I need you to come with me. And I thought, okay. So I followed him over to his car and I thought, oh shoot, he's going to go take me to go get drug tested. It's what's going to happen right now. So I don't know what, what the problem is, but we got into his car and we began to drive down the freeway. And then we took a turn on the freeway and got off an off-ramp that was the off-ramp to where I lived, in my parents' house. And then we turned down the street that they lived on in their neighborhood. And then we turned down their street and we pull up in front of my house and there's a bunch of cars there and my dad's there. And I, I see my dad as we pull up, collapse on the grass in front of my parents' home. And he's weeping and there's a group of people around him trying to console him. And as I got out of the car to go rush across to see what was wrong, I got stopped by uh, a friend of our family and he stopped me in the street and said, Jonathan, Christopher was on his way to work. He was driving up to Riverside at the church where he worked. And he said he was driving and he was in a car accident and he's with the Lord now. And man, I, I, I felt like my stomach got ripped out, you know? I felt like my heart just got pulled out of my chest. Um, the one person that I was honest with, that knew who I really was, was now gone from this world. I couldn't have that conversation with him that I wanted to. I couldn't seek his opinion on things anymore. And I was devastated. And in a matter of moments, as I was standing there trying to even just process what I just heard, this news, and thinking about it from all the different perspectives, from his wife's perspective and his daughter's perspective, and, you know, uh, my parents and just all the people that this was going to affect, the church. Um, Christopher's question popped back into my head. What's it going to take? What's it going to take? And I knew in that moment what I needed to do. I went and I went up to my room and I got all of my drugs and all my paraphernalia and I got a little paper bag and I put it all inside that bag and I just laid it on the foot of my bed. And I, for the first time, I just got down on my knees and I prayed, Lord, I've proven to you I can't quit this on my own. I can't, I can't get free of this on my own. I need you to not only take this addiction away, I need you to take this desire away as well. I want to see my brother again. And I know that right now in this moment, I want to use these drugs more than ever to numb myself. But that's not what I want. I want you, Lord. 
I want you. And I, I prayed that, and I put uh, that stuff in that paper bag, and I, I gave it to a friend of mine who was a, a pastor, and I said, get rid of this, and don't tell me where you put it, because I'll probably go looking for it. And so he took that paper bag, and he got rid of it. And uh, that was 13 years ago, this July, that that happened. And it's been 13 years that God has delivered me from addiction. It's been 13 years that I've been sober, and it's because God got a hold of my life, because I gave my life to Him, and He gave me my life back, and He has done an amazing work. And I got to tell you, He took that addiction away. He took those desires away, and He can do that for you as well. If He can do it for me, He can do it for you. He gave me a new nature. And I want to say to you today, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What's it going to take for you to make the same decision? I want to ask you that same question that Christopher asked me. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to give your life to Christ? What's it going to take for you to make him Lord of all? Maybe you've committed your life to Christ and, and you've called on him to be your savior. But have you allowed him to become Lord of your life? If not, what are you waiting for? Listen, God has the best plan for your life. You know, he didn't just save you from something. He didn't just save you from addiction, from a life of abuse, from, from a life of destruction. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. God has an amazing plan for your life. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God has an amazing plan for your life. He wants to do an amazing work. All you have to do is let him work in and through you. He didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. Something greater than just being sober. Something greater than just being a, a contributing member of society. No, he saved you so that you could be his son. So that you could be his daughter. Let him become the Lord of your life. If he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for every person that is watching right now. Wherever they're at, Lord, they've never asked you to become uh, the Lord of their life. They have asked you, but they've stumbled and fallen. Lord, we're so thankful that you give us second chances and third chances and fourth chances. God, you're so quick to forgive. You're so quick to extend to us your grace. And I thank you for all my friends there at Teen Challenge that are watching this. Lord, I just ask that you would protect each and every one of them, that you would not allow them to be tempted beyond what they are able to resist without providing that way of escape. Lord, you tell us in your word, you promise that, that we will not be tempted beyond what we are able to handle. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for each and every one of them. I pray that you would bless them, you would protect them. I pray that this uh, season in their life while they go through the program there at Teen Challenge that, Lord, it would just be impactful, that they would grow tremendously, Lord. They would make connections and friendships that would last a lifetime, Lord. Help them, we pray. And there might be some of you that are watching now um, as we continue in prayer together that you need to ask the Lord, you need to ask Jesus to become the Lord of your life. You need to invite him into that role. And listen, I, I, I just want to encourage you. You could pray this prayer. You could say this. You could call out to God. And, and this is you saying the prayer, but then you've got to live it out. So don't pray this unless you really mean it. You really want Jesus to be the Lord of all. If you do, pray this prayer. Say this. Dear God, I need your help. 
I need your Holy Spirit in my life. I need you to give me that new nature. I want to live my life for you, but I need your strength. I've made mistakes. I've fallen short. But I know your grace is sufficient for me. So I commit myself to you. Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my God. And be my friend. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer just now, you asked Jesus to become the Lord of your life. That is the best thing that you could do is live your life for God to let him show you the right way to live. Hey, he's our creator. Who better to tell us how to live than the one who created us, right? Well, God bless you guys. It's been so great getting to, to share with you my testimony and my story. We're so thankful for all of you there. Uh, again, thanks for watching us today and we'll see you guys soon. Hey, we have an amazing church online that you can watch if you'd like. It's called Harvest at Home. And if you'd like to join us, you're welcome to. It's uh, on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Uh, you can tune in. We have services all day long and you can tune in and check us out at harvest.org. We hope to see you there. God bless you guys. Thanks for choosing the Teen Challenger Southern California podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, do it today. It's easy. Go to wherever you get your podcasts, click on our icon and hit subscribe. A new podcast filled with godly encouragement, spiritual instruction, and teaching comes out every week. God bless you today.